Hey there. Thanks for joining me on Comedy Masterclass, where I interview creators about the craft of writing comedy. Today, I am thrilled to have writer Isaac Marion with me. And you'll know if you listened to the show last week that I actually came to Isaac's work first through seeing the film adaptation of his book, Warm Bodies. And as always happens, if I see a film where I think the concept's super interesting and engaging, I always go back and read the book. And invariably, I love the book way more, uh, which is the case here. I love both, but the book was both darker and funnier, which is my perfect combination for me. So I really wanted to have Isaac on the show to talk about that and far more things uh, across his career. But before we dive in, is it, Isaac, is there anything else you'd love people to know about you and your extraordinarily creative life <laughs> well other than the works that i'm known for uh i think it's just up to them to figure out what they're interested in i i do a lot of different things and I, no time to plug them all so yeah yeah you do do a lot of things and we're going to dive into some of them from a craft perspective because i think it's interesting that you do do so many things but i actually want to rewind a little bit first because when um i was doing the research for this show i came across uh an online project that you had and it looked like uh, you were 24 when you did it and it's labeled as an online magazine of humor and tragedy oh God. so I don't know if that's <laughs> accurate I'm not going to ask you about it in detail but I thought it was so interesting that it was labeled as humor and tragedy I'm like absolutely at 24 you knew exactly what you were up to so I wondered if you have yeah. any memory of the creative impulses behind that and the role that humor was playing that that website was basically a blog, but it had a lot of multimedia kind of weird stuff mixed into it. But um, yeah, that was pretty much the first like public entertainment kind of thing I ever did. I started that I think when I was like seventeen, and I, yeah. it, it was just kind of a started out as just like an email list that I'd send to my friends, and then I eventually put it on a on a website and then on Blogger, and it was just you know nonsense. Um, it I would, but it's actually where I first started. The first time I posted any um, literature, any any any, I posted some short stories on there, and that, um, and it would kind of alternate between you know random actual blogging and I'd post you know some heavy serious short story, and the next day it would be like some wacky skit that I had between me and an imaginary character or something, and just it was just a variety show, if you will. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that actually kind of got it ended up being the start of my career because one of the stories that I put on that website was um, was the what eventually became Warm Bodies, and somebody found it on that website and sort of reached out to me and um, started me on that whole path. So it ended up being worth it. But um, yeah, it's kind of a a funny thing because it's it's so old. Um, I do not know what's on there. I don't mm. trust my, you know, sheltered teenage Christian self to what are things I might have said back then. So I've, I've done my best to suppress the existence of that website you? <laughs> because you just never know what someone might dig up these days and yeah, no one no, provide the context that it was 20 yeah. years ago. <laughs> no, exactly. People keep asking me about it because it's like there are a few um, diehards from back mm. then who were like, I missed that, that one thing you did on the website or something. Why mm. is it gone? I'm like, nope. It's not coming back. Yeah. No, and I totally get that. But I just thought it was interesting that it was labeled as humor and tragedy because um, what interests me about your work is how you marry them. And uh, in the intro, I said about really liking both the darkness and humor in your work. And I'm curious that when you think about um, something like Warm Bodies and you think about creating R as a zombie, where how did the darkness and humor weave 
together in your mind? And what do you think um, him being a zombie opens up in terms of the realms of humor that you can explore? Because I'm really interested in surrealism and fantasy and lots of places that people don't always associate with comedy. So I'm really not talking about like the gags and stand up. I'm interested in what it allows us to do. So what do you think him being a zombie allowed you to do in terms of humor? Yeah, I mean, that that allows you to do a phrase is kind of key because I, I I I didn't think first like I want to write a zombie story and then now what's it about? It was more yeah. like I had sort of this 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 um these themes that I've been thinking about, like stuff that I've been living through and like and and wanted to kind of wanted to write about them in some form and things like just the the phase of life that I was in being kind of a transitional from young to not young and, and changing my moving to a big city and just like kind of letting go a lot of my my old belief systems and, and identity sort of disintegrating um before my eyes combined with sort of a general malaise with life and basically probably just depression in retrospect I, I was just sort of numb to the world for a long time and um i wanted to write about that stuff but you know that on its own without a twist is a pretty it's not a very fun story. <laughs> so, yeah. so it just kind of a, occurred to me that yeah, I, I've been doing a lot of like perspective um, experiments with my stories, like t- thinking of some very odd character or, or creature or even like inanimate objects sometimes. I'm like, what would it be like to see the world from that perspective? And I, I did, you know, all sorts of stuff, like different animals. And I did one from the perspective of a stoplight and just like these, mm. all these weird ideas. And then I would just sort of dive into it and see what comes out of that premise. Because I, I just, a lot of interesting stuff will surprise me from, um, from sort of altering your, your starting point of looking at the world. So yeah, the idea of combining it with zombies was just, um, it, it was sort of obvious in a way because all of the, the struggles that I was dealing with at the time, my personal life were, kind of a mirror one-to-one mirror almost of like the traditional pop culture zombie thing where it's like let's Mm. say they they don't they don't feel anything they're they don't know why they're doing what they're doing they're just sort of mindlessly repeating their cycles they have no emotions you know they they're just like lifeless and they they have no they don't know even they they don't know who they are anymore which was like a Mm. big part of my experience too is just letting you know my loss of identity from kind of coming out of this like uh religious worldview and into the real world and um and so, yeah, I just, it was kind of an obvious parallel and then I jumped into it and, um, I didn't start out thinking like, this is going to be funny, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously yeah, by, with the sounds of what I described doesn't sound funny, but, um, inevitably, I mean, zombie, the zombie genre is almost like a 50, 50 mix at this point of horror and comedy, because there's mm-hmm. something inherently funny about just people being in that state. It can either be really disturbing or really mm-hmm. ridiculous. So I kind of mixed a little of both because especially when you're inhabiting that perspective, it's almost inevitable that just some of the, the kind of goofy um, foibles of, of being a, a, a creature who like doesn't know anything is kind of inherently uh, prime for comedy. So it just happened naturally. Yeah, totally. And I also um, love how you constructed the relationships around the R character in the book, which we don't see so much in the film for very good reasons of filmmaking. And heads up to um, listeners, this is not going to be uh, spoiler free. I'm not going to talk about the ending, but I do want to talk about specifics of some of the relationships so we can talk about the comedy. And one thing I really loved in the book is um, the inclusion of his like wife, 
that happens very quickly and kids yeah. that happen very quickly <laughs> and what you then do with those tropes. And I thought some of the um, images like at the beginning of um, in a rom-com could be a, a meet cute with the convey about and that's how actually it meets with a wife that's nothing to do with the actual like central, um, more traditionally romantic, as traditional as you can be with a zombie relationship or like the kids in the back of the car arguing and him trying to um, keep them quiet while they're sort of trying to take like bites out of uh, Julie's shoulder. I think a lot of those scenes are so beautiful and sweet and twisted and funny. Were those, um, did you always want to have that complex net of relationships in the book? Well, that whole starting section of the story is kind of setting up um, the the situation that he's in, which is sort of like all the zombies don't they don't know they don't have any specific memories they don't know who they are or anything but they have kind of this residual awareness of like social norms and Mm. like kind of they they're sort of running on instinct in terms of um eating for one thing like the traditional Mm. zombie instinct but also you know just these sort of ghostly repetitions of um of routines from from that are programmed in by society you know so it was kind of setting up um, his starting point, which is like, he's just another cog in the machine, you know, just another guy doing what you do as a person, you know, you do this, then you do that, then you do that, then you die. And it's like mm. sort of the, that, that um, sort of instinctual mindless repetition of, of just like patterns and programs. And so all that stuff, his wife, his kids, you know, there's a church, there's like all the structures mm. of society are kind of present in, at the, in the zombie hive. Um, but, and he's doing them, he's going through the motions of it all, but it, it, it's kind of wondering in the same token is like, why do I, why do I have this family? Why do I go to work? Why do I eat people? It's, you know, it's all part of the same, the yeah. same mentality, which he then yeah. finally like breaks out of. And that's when the story kind of begins. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I love that. But it um, when you get to take it to those extremes, but it feels the same, there is like so much humor there when mm-hmm. we're like, this is the same as commuting or why do we do this? So yeah. we're better just taken to the extreme. There's just so yeah. much more space uh, to laugh yeah. at it, I think, which I really appreciate. He and commutes think, to the city to eat people, yeah. you know, <laughs> exactly. many, many businesses are basically eating people. So yeah, totally. <laughs> it's not lost on me. I love it. Um and I do also think in the voice, there's like a really dry, deadpan humor, which I really appreciate. And I know, it like, yes, of course, he's a zombie. But I think that also, um, my perception of that is that it also comes through in your other work, in your videos too. This, I, I don't know if it's because I'm a Brit or if it's how my brain works, but I really appreciate um, it applied to that and I had to google it just to make sure it didn't sound like an insult because dry humor could sound like an insult and it's not meant to be it's my highest no, compliment it's my favorite and it um it said that it's humans delivered with a straight face and a serious tone as if it's not intended to be funny but it actually enhances the unexpected inexplicable ridiculous and ironic because the serious tone makes it more so and I was like yeah I think that there is something about that when I watch your videos as well there is something about um the delivery, which I also hear in the books in your voice, there's not the hyperbole of the, ha this is funny. Like it's, it's the opposite. Everything is underplayed, undercut, and is the funnier for it. Has that always um, been your voice, your writing voice, or did that take a while to develop? I think that's, that's pretty much always been there. Um, I 
with that, you know, that old website, which was really the only time that I set out to like explicitly do comedy, which, you know, I was a teenager, it's going to be kind of over the top and, and mm-hmm. more goofy like that. But for the most part, ever since I you know stopped doing that decades ago, um, it's been more, more understated kind of, uh, I, I always think of comedy as kind of more of the secondary element that just happens mm-hmm. on its own. In fact, a lot of times it'll, be working on something that seems very serious and I inevitably there, there are humorous elements just kind of bubble up into it. Mm. So it's, um, it's all, but it's always kind of the under layer, not the the top layer, which I think is why mm. it, it comes off as kind of, kind of deadpan. Cause it's just like, that's, that's just how I see the world. So I think, and, um, everything is a little bit ridiculous to me, even things that are mm-hmm. supposed to be serious. So, <laughs> yeah, so even if I'm trying same. to be serious, it just kind of has a little, a little askew, feeling Mm. to it yeah I think I really appreciate that and I think if I don't know I feel like if you have a certain kind of brain that has a little bit of distance it's really hard not to see things as ridiculous there's so many things I think are utterly ridiculous that I think other people think are are normal and I sometimes I wonder if Mm -hmm. it is just that that distance but even to the point of sometimes even like when you wake up and you are literally like this this body. That's why I think zombies are so interesting. There'll be times where I, I'm literally like, this is absolutely ridiculous. I don't know how this is working. I'm sitting in this car, driving this car, and other people are like, what are you even talking about? Yeah. That's why I appreciate the zombies because it's like, oh, I can pretend I'm thinking about the zombies, but actually being a human is kind of mind-blowingly uh, surreal. Yeah, that that mentality is kind of a blessing and a curse because it, it um, yeah. on the on the the bad side, it, it can make it sometimes hard to really genuinely experience life. Um, yeah. You're always kind of, there's a distance from everything. You're, you're, you're seeing things in third person too often. It, it becomes hard to like really be in the moment with people and like feel the, the, the full inhabiting of, of what, what you're doing, which can be overcome um, mm. at times, but it's always kind of that, that moment of that struggle of trying to like get the zoom level just mm. right to where you want to mm-hmm. be out enough to have perspective and like to understand that, you know, that your problems are not the end of the world and all of the, you know, the positive sides of it, which is that you can kind of see the humor and all the things mm. that happen in life to yourself and to the world and just all the stuff that could be really horrible. If you're 100% inside it, mm. um, you would zoom out a little bit to, it becomes more of like a story that you're reading versus like you're actually being, you know, murdered by a dinosaur or something, then, yeah. then uh, it's it's much more enjoyable. I, I enjoy mm-hmm. life more being able to kind of pull out, pull mm-hmm. the camera out to uh, to see it kind of from a distance as everything, you know, things, things are funny that wouldn't be funny otherwise, and things are bearable that might be mm-hmm. unbearable. And so there's kind of that balancing of like, I want to live my life. I want to be in the room with people and, and, and experience things, but also I, I don't want to get lost in it and, and start to think that, you know, my sensations and perception are, are just so real and they matter so mm. much because that's, yeah. that's horrible. <laughs> yeah. That's a, a beautiful way of putting it. And it also interests me like where you point the camera then, because I'm using the terms dark humor because that's what gets used. I feel like particularly as soon as you talk about death, um, but some and you know death zombies and obviously we're talking about warm bodies but there's the the whole series of the books and other things that are, are looked at within them but that still involve humans coming to an end or struggling with existence but sometimes I wonder is it even dark though when like why do we call that dark humor I get what people do but I feel like as soon as you start talking about death it's dark humor whereas death is like such a both 
incredibly sad and incredibly normal human thing. Uh, so <laughs> that's not a question, but more just an appreciation of the fact that uh, I really like because I did I did have a little peek at some of the things from the uh, early online thing and there's a symmetry in it uh, straight away and it's like it seems like right from the beginning you've been like turning the camera on all those existential things and not avoiding them and I love that humor can be that lens that does that which is amazing so yeah makes me wonder what exactly light humor is yeah it kind of seems like the nature of humor is is sort of looking at at the 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 comedy of humanity you know the all the stupid things that we do um are, it's it's always kind of askew you know it's like totally. um yeah. i don't know what what non-dark humor really is <laughs> to me no. it doesn't really exist <laughs> no and again it's like is that like talking about cereal boxes or i yeah. don't know sandwiches i'm like yeah but that's not funny <laughs> maybe <laughs> like just... five-year-olds have non-dark humor where it's just maybe. like farts ha, 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 you know <laughs> maybe <laughs> but even yeah. that i mean Farts are, well, are a classic yeah. human weakness that we all love totally. to laugh at. So. <laughs> totally. Um, so I wanted to ask you about your um, broader creativity, because from all the things I've seen, like you've explored painting, um, you've uh, explored poetry, uh, drawing, music. It seems like you're prepared to let your creativity uh, take any medium and I also wanted to ask whether you're primarily self-taught in those areas and if so, or however you've uh, got to do them, and um, what helps you kind of learn and progress and continue to uh, explore and push those things? Yeah, um, I've never had any formal training on anything. So I guess I would be self-taught as much as I've been taught, period. <laughs> A lot of yeah. stuff, I just kind of dive into it and see what happens. Yeah. And with, you know, wildly varying results. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always kind of just dabbled in a little bit of everything. I think um, there's a lot of common ground in creative ability. Uh, there's a lot, you know, the ability to write also includes the ability to, you know, write songs, for example, you know, there's lyrics, there's rhythm, although there's a lot of crossover between different artistic disciplines. And I think everybody probably has, you know, one or two things that, that are really their peak that they excel at most, but they probably could do other things too. So I've just been sort of exploring the field and seeing, uh, trying out different things. I, I, used to do a lot of things at the same time. Like when I was younger, um, I, I, I wrote and I did music and I painted all, you know, simultaneously. And I would do one big project and then have some big show of some kind, like a gallery or, or, or release an album or something. And then I would just sort of drop it and switch to the other thing. And, and so was never really getting anywhere with anything. Cause I didn't, I wasn't focusing and, uh, I had to kind of rein myself in at some point and be like, I need to to sort of pick a major here and, and, you know, find something that I should, it should uh, zero in on. And so I, I kind of like had a meeting with myself of like, is it writing music or painting? <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, painting got the ax because I just decided, you know, of all the things I can spend my time on, this does, this feels the least rewarding in terms of like how much effort it is compared to like how satisfying it is. And also like the potential for a career as well, which mm. I try not to focus entirely on, but it's certainly a factor. Um, so I kind of put that to the side. I haven't done any painting for a long time. My visual art has shifted into more like photography, video kind of stuff, which I still really enjoy it, but haven't, um, haven't used it in a, what I would call a serious way on Instagram, YouTube, et cetera. But it's, um, it's just kind of a tool to, to toward other medias. But, um, 
yeah, I still like to dabble in everything. I think I, I, writing has become my main gig because it's just the one that took off, but these things can change, you know, from year to year, the thing that took off can land again or crash <laughs> and you pick up something else and start tinkering with that. So these days I'm in kind of a middle space where I'm still kind of in the, the literary realm, but it's not exactly like working that great for me. And so I'm exploring other side projects and, and, you know, other mediums and just kind of seeing, seeing what's out there and it, it's satisfying. It's fun to explore. And what is it that you um, most love about writing? And there may be things that really frustrate you as well, but what do you most love about it, do you think? Yeah, I think the main thing that motivated me, the main thing that like drew, drew me to writing in the first place was just like before I started writing um, fiction as a kid, I was just, I had this sort of frustrating feeling of um, all this stuff that was in my head that I couldn't uh, share with anyone. Mm. And at the time, you know, it was very fantastical as a kid. I was really into fantasy and there was all these daydreams of like other worlds and, you know, magical realms and characters and, and stories. And, but I, and it was so frustrating to not, I mean, you can't just sit someone, sit someone down and be like, let me tell you about this dream I had or something. Mm. Cause nobody wants to hear that. You have yeah. to like take the effort to kind of congeal it into something real and mm. then deliver it in a format that people can, can absorb. And, I've always loved writing. Writing fiction is kind of the most direct way in most direct transfer from my mind to a reader's mind. It, it sort of mm. puts the whole, the whole thing goes into their head without any medium interfering with it or other, other people interfering with it. It's just like direct line, which mm. is very satisfying because if I write a story, it's exactly what I want to say. It's the exact images I want to share. It's exact, you know, ideas and, um, and they just go into the reader's head and mm. there's no technical skill of like, oh, I need to figure out what paints to mix together to get this color. And so I have to go, have to, go to school to learn about, you know, the, the, the tools of the trade. It's just kind of something you can just do and you get better at it and you learn tricks, but it's still kind of like instinctive in a way. And so I just, I love the, the, the connection of it, of just being able to like um, make, make what's in my head feel real. And, um, yeah. that's sort of what drew me to it. And it varies. Sometimes it's something serious I want to convey or something, you know, unpleasant I want to convey. And sometimes it's much more beautiful, like colorful kind of, uh, feelings that I want to, I want to share. And, um, it's a wide palette for it. So I just, I love that experience. Yeah. That's a beautiful way of describing it. And I agree with you that in, in some ways there's not the, um, technical side of, physically having to work out how to wield a paintbrush yeah. and probably a painter would not say you don't wield a paintbrush it shows me up as a non-painter <laughs> sounds like you're in a fight <laughs> I know you could use a paintbrush as a weapon I suppose yeah but there's still um but there is still a huge amount of technical skill not in an off-putting yeah. way for people that are listening but in what you're able to achieve because it is that magical process like I can see the images in your work so clearly and they are stuck with me for absolutely years uh, you know, even because anyone could pick an airport setting, but then to sort of see the airport setting in that way and uh, see the plane, so that I'm just giving, doing that as props to you. <laughs> I appreciate that, and and I don't mean to imply that there's no skill or craft involved yeah. in writing. It's no, just that the lack of um, compared to even like making music, for example. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. recording I'm recording music right now for these YouTube videos, and 
it's just learning the software is yeah. so overwhelming. I mean, yeah. I sit here, I'll spend an entire day just lost in a haze of checking yeah. YouTube videos. Like, how do I arm the track on the bus to the whatever? And it, it's just like so, so technical. Yeah. It has nothing to do with, it's not creative at all. It's just like learning yeah. programming basically. And same with video editing, same with pretty much all art forms now, except like actual painting. There's all this tech side to it that you have to get through in order to convey what you want to convey. And mm. that, you know, is another skill you can learn, but it's not as direct and intuitive. It's just like, I have words in my head and I mm. put them here and then people read them and yeah, it just is what it is. Yeah. So. It's a lovely way of describing it. And very encouraging as well. And um, this is not an easy question when you're put on the spot. So don't, don't worry if you don't have an answer to it, but um, are there any creators that you particularly admire for how they thread humor into their work, whether that's TV, film, books, and sometimes it's so broad, we're like, oh my mm. goodness, so many. Well, that's actually so specific. I'm trying to think of okay. you know the, a particular uh, blending. I guess a lot of, um, a lot of art that I, that I've, treasured over the years does kind of have some of that blend i'm thinking of like uh one of my favorite movies is eternal sunshine the spotless mind oh, um, yeah. which is like a very poignant sad movie with a lot of beautiful themes but also like it's jim carrey goofing yeah. around and like it somehow combines that um i mean the director and writer of that michelle gondry is not i guess he kind of has a lot of humor a lot of kind of playfulness in a lot of his other movies but i feel like it really connected in that in a way that it hasn't in others um, even like some of the, some of the research I did writing warm bodies of like watching all the zombie movies, uh, mm. saw some of that too, like with Shaun of the dead, that was uh, Simon mm. Pegg's movie was, mm -hmm. was a, a great hybrid of that, where it was and more toward the comedy of that. But, um, yeah, it's, I, for some reason, I feel like it's less common in books or at least the books mm. that I've read. Um, comedy is, I think, harder to pull off in, in a book. It, 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 often in my experience reading i it, it more often than not just kind of irritates me mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because it's just such a fine uh mm -hmm. frequency to dial in especially you know when you don't have the advantage of like editing and music and all the stuff that that film and and even like stand-up comedy and stuff can can use they don't have any music but they have you know the, the timing and the physical presence and all that stuff it's tricky in books i'm i'm nothing springing to mind of in the, in the literary realm that fits that bill, but um, there's a couple for you anyway. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's a beautiful example. And I agree. I find it less commonly in books or in books in ways that I enjoy because there's so many different styles of humor and it's so subjective and we yeah. just like what we like. I, I do feel like it's one of those things where you can't fake a response to something. Yeah. Um, and for example, I'm generally not, um, that into puns or comedies of manners or so there's lots of books that do use humor in those ways where it's just never going to work for me it's just not what I'm interested yeah. in and it's harder I think it, sorry go ahead no, no I was going to say and although I've called it um comedy masterclass I think comedy often people think about like the big kind of laughing kind of comedy where often for me is that sort of humor weave that creates yeah. a feeling that means that I can look at stuff that otherwise I would just find too bleak, too painful. But like you say, it's this, it's this sort of weaving uh, tightrope. And usually I can tell it, it might not even be that I'm laughing all the way through, but it's how I feel reading it compared to reading something that doesn't have those like slightly askew or slightly undercutting or slightly tilting 
yeah. angles. I, for me, I think that that type of humor is is works the best in in books. Um, because like if, if it, they're trying to be like ha ha comedy in a book, mm. it's much harder for it not to seem like it's just trying so hard. Like when mm. they just big heavy punchlines that are like that was the joke, and then you mm. start thinking about somebody wrote this joke and then spent like a year and a half editing it with their publishers and and get it, it was printed and everything, and it just feels so labored compared to like the the fresh yeah. liveliness of of comedy that uh, it starts to just seem kind of ridiculous to me. But that like more subtle undertone mm. of just sort of slightly askew irony is i think mm -hmm. fits the the medium of of literature a lot better and that's sort of the type of humor that i that i traffic in yeah no exactly and um you mentioned editing um do you are you someone who likes i don't know to get feedback on your work how and it may be, uh -oh, I don't know, this, for all it, your different it, projects. Do you have some things to tell me? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> some critiques of my 10-year-old novel. <laughs> no, I should have phrased that better. Late. It's too late. No, I think I think I was thinking because, um, I don't know, for example, your recent um, videos, it looks like where you live is quite isolated. And yeah. where I live is very rural and very isolated as well. And obviously, there's the wonders of the internet now, so we can have as many connections with humans as we want and get as much feedback or as little feedback as we want. But I just wondered for your creative process, um, and it's not about me giving you feedback, I promise. Do you, do you, are you someone who likes to um, develop something through to completion first and then um, share it for any kind of editing feedback? Do you like, because I, I that's how I like to work. But I also have friends who they will literally like send things chapter by chapter and getting feedback. And I'm like, I don't know, that just would not work for my brain and the tone. Be also because I make such a horrendous mess as I go along because yeah. I've got like a sense of something and I know there's something in there, but it looked like trash from the outside. And then, and then by the time I get to the end, I feel like I can put the soup back into some sort of blend to use an analogy that doesn't work at all. <laughs> um, so I just am curious for you how... Um, editing collaboration feedback works yeah i can't imagine working that way with the i find a lot of fiction writers seem to want to share stuff is where it's not even in the oven yet let alone done and and they just start putting stuff out there in this sort of piecemeal way and that's like a nightmare to me the, the thought of anybody in the public reading stuff that i haven't fully finished is just horrifying mm -hmm. i very reluctantly send it off to my, my agent is the first person who who I work with. He actually ends up doing the bulk of the editing. Um, the way that publishing works these days, it's kind of like the editors do a lot less than they used to. They kind of expect it to be pretty much perfect before you they even see it. So mm -hmm. I spend you know sometimes like a year. Uh, this last book that I am, is out on the market as we speak, um, I spent about a year editing it with my agent before he even sent it into the market. So, um, so I with very trusted people who I know understand what I'm trying to do and like the, my, my style of writing and kind of my goals as a storyteller, I, I, I hand it off to them reluctantly. Uh, but only after I've got it to the point where like, this is as good as I can make it. I've, I've fixed everything that I see. And now I need an, an outside perspective to kind of crack open that, that layer of, of, of sealer and, uh, and expose things that I didn't notice, which is, kind of thrilling in its own way. I actually, I dread the editing stage, but I also kind of, when I'm in it, it can be really exciting because, you know, I've been working with this thing for usually at least a year, sometimes two years. Um, I think it was about, yeah, about two years of this new book. And uh, it's just so calcified in my mind of what it is. And mm -hmm. to have someone else come in for the first time and kind of crack that open and be like, 
this area could be a lot better or like this thing if you move this over here this whole thing is going to pop it's like it's always there's always a little resistance at first and I'm like what no and then i usually i'll let it sit for a day and think about it and, and then start tinkering with it and sometimes there's moments where i disagree and i'm just like you know what i think you're wrong and i'm doing it this way and then there's other times where i'll try something and it it just works so well that it's just this exhilarating sensation of like this whole section i suddenly like you it's like you connect two wires together and the whole thing lights up like whoa i did not know that that could happen so it can be really exciting it's just it's mm -hmm. a it's a tense time it's a lot of like terror and excitement at the same time yeah no that's understandable and do you know what you the kinds of things that in an absolutely ideal world you would want to work on next or is that just really hard mm. to think about with the creative landscape as it is yeah i've been thinking about that a lot lately of just how i mean i i had the the privilege of enjoying a, a, a few years of creative freedom basically i had a, a time where I, you know, made money off warm bodies and I was able to just like work on other stuff and whatever struck my fancy basically. And I didn't really have to be thinking yet about, um, at least I thought I didn't have to be thinking about this. I probably should have been <laughs> in retrospect, mm -hmm. but I thought like, I'll just do whatever, you know, resonates with my, my soul in this moment. <laughs> just going to like do these experimental short stories or whatever. And of course, like it would be amazing to be in a position uh, to in your career to where you can kind of just do exactly what what excites you and it will have an audience no matter what and you won't have to worry about you know paying the bills but that that's kind of the fantasy which i would love to get back to but on a more realistic level i'm just thinking you know there uh, there's probably going to be kind of a hybrid model for me these days so like i'm gonna i'm still i'm gonna keep writing books um but it's the industry is such a mess and there are just so many so many things that make that hard to like make it your whole life um that i'm i've been sort of inspired to diversify lately and, and get into other realms none of which are making me money yet except you know i've started to I've dipped my toes in video game writing um which has actually turned into kind of like a nice little side gig where i've um i don't have any major employment in that realm but i've had little projects where someone approaches me to write, you know, specific things for a game. And I've done that. And like, that's, that's a realm I'd love to work more in. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's probably the most practical uh, application of the writing ability, right? These mm -hmm. days, I think in terms of, um, I tried my hand in Hollywood, did not like that experience. I uh, don't think mm -hmm. I'll ever really go back to that in terms of like trying to start a screenwriting career or anything like that. Um, but that's also similar to novels in the sense that it's like these huge monolithic projects that you spend massive amounts of your life creating. And then it's just like, roll the dice. Do people mm. like it or not? And if not, it's, it's completely wasted, which is, mm. especially oh. with screenwriting, it's just yeah. horrifying because literally if nobody wants to make your movie, it does not exist. Like nobody wants to read your screenplay for pleasure. It's just like you mm. throw it out there. And I, I have several screenplays of complete stories that I spent a long time working on that are just in the in the the archives you know that there's no way to to share them so that's really demoralizing <laughs> so yeah yeah games are kind of like an industry that is active that um that has a, a growing role for storytelling as they become more and more kind of cinematic and and uh and literary even and um and 
I enjoy gaming myself. So it, it's, it's a, it's an exciting kind of field to, to be moving into. It's like, I, this is something, mm. you know, it's not my deepest desire. Uh, I would like to just make my own stories on my own terms, but if I have to, uh, do something to, to, you know, have a practical career that that could work. I, I'm excited to move into that. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. And in terms of the way that like generations are interacting with things online and attention spans and all the kind of things that people have stats on gaming seems to be a, yeah. a, an area that does match that uncreatively and that there's yeah. so much more scope for now. Like I'm thinking about um, Craig Mason, who is on the Script Notes podcast with um, John August, the screenwriting podcast, but he wrote Chernobyl for HBO, mm. but now has just written or not just, but more comparatively recently written um, the version of The Last of Us that started as a game. But again, it's like, I mm. think game IP is being treated more seriously too. Like people used to joke about Tomb Raider being yeah. made into a film and why people would go, but The Last of Us, they're getting Craig Mason to do the project yeah. and very sensitively. So There's a lot of different kinds of games, of course, and some don't yeah. really have any story. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have stuff that's, you know, basically an inter interactive movie. It has all of the, yeah. the same kind of storytelling techniques and emotion and everything as, as any other piece of fiction. And, and yeah. um, sometimes to the point where I'm like, why don't I just watch a movie? <laughs> but, but I think there's kind of a way <laughs> yeah. to balance okay. it that it creates a unique experience where it's kind of cinematic and it's a story, but you feel involved in a deeper way because it's sort of you're sort of part of it. And that's that's intriguing to me. I um I I would love to work on games like that where it's like a more of a real story, not just like mm. entirely interactive sandbox kind of thing although i tend to enjoy playing sandbox games but as far as what i'd like to create it you know there's a lot of potential in that in that side of the spectrum mm. yeah so i don't know if this is going to give us um an even darker note to end on or a lighter note to end on but what do you think um creativity gives you like if if you did strip it out of your life like and imagining that what does creativity put back in even even in the current market conditions of writing and all the challenges that there are with it? That's an interesting question. It, it is something very subtle and, and hard to define as I think about it. It's, it's, you know, I was talking earlier about with writing in particular, how a lot of it is about the connecting with people and kind of like sharing what's in my head. But I feel like that doesn't define creativity in general because there are a lot of forms of creativity that really aren't about connection. They're not, you know, you're not interacting in, in that direct of a way, like, you know, abstract paintings or something where it's, it's really much more of like a, a visceral kind of feeling that um, can't really be defined that clearly. And even just, I mean, there's a lot of different formats that kind of have a different kind of satisfaction to them, but I don't know that there's, there's like a common element to all of it. And I'm just, I've never thought about it in this way before I'm processing it as we speak, but it feels like I've, I've had a, a lot of contrast in that recently of, of having a total absence of creative life you know, since I, I mean, you can't tell from the screen if this is how it's actually presented, but this looks like a nice normal little room, <laughs> but a few feet to the sides, it is, I'm in a shed right now. Like this is basically a tool shed that I've converted into a house and around it is just miles of desolate wasteland. And uh, I moved out here a couple of years ago and it basically has become my job to convert this place into a, a home. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time 
just completely in the physical world, like literally hammer and saw, you know, just no time for frivolous nonsense, like storytelling or whatever. It's like work, just work. (laughs) And so I'll go months and months of this, you know, I just finished building an outhouse and it took me pretty much the whole summer to, to hack this, you know, essentially outdoor bathroom together. And after a couple months of that, I was just like, I feel malnourished. Like there is something Mm. deep inside me that is not being fed. And it's like, I can feel kind of my soul drying up. It's like Mm. a very similar sensation to being dehydrated where I was just like, I'm dying. Like something is shriveling up and I know what it is because it's like this whole side of myself. I wasn't even, you know, consuming entertainment for that most of that period. It was just like work all day and go to sleep. And, um, I don't know that I could define what it is exactly. It's this very like delicate substance. Like it, it feels connected to kind of like childhood play in some way, almost like just the, the sensation of, of fantasy in general of like getting outside of your body in some way. Maybe it's, maybe it's connected to kind of whatever, whatever dreams do for us. Maybe mm. we don't really know what that is, but dreaming is apparently really important to the human survival because, you know, we've evolved to have our brains do this thing that makes no sense. We just spend all night doing nonsense in our brain and we don't really know why. I've read a lot of theories about, you know, what that might do. And it occurs to me that, you know, art and creativity could be part of that same function. It's just like some, some way of understanding the world and, and, um, just like maybe even something deeper and more, more metaphysical of like why, where we came from to begin with as like conscious entities, like what, what is consciousness all about? It, it, it could go pretty spacey as I yeah. think about it. <laughs> yeah, it could. But I think that's a beautiful way of um, like being able to express what it feels like and what it feels like when you don't have it. Because like you say, it is, we're in the land of all the sensations and the feelings more than being able to logically pin down a sentence. So I think yeah. you expressed it beautifully. And on that, um, on that very uh, existential, perfectly existential uh, note, which I really appreciate, and I appreciate being able to have conversations uh, like this because I can't have them everywhere, which is why I have my own podcast. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time. And where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Yeah. Um, well, my, my author website, IsaacMarion.com, is kind of my main portal that has links to everything else that I do, which is, you know, these days, mostly just Instagram and YouTube. Um, YouTube is kind of my, my new endeavor that I'm mostly focused on and excited about right now. I started to kind of document this, this wilderness life that I'm living out here. Um, and, uh, yeah, my website is for the, the starting point for all of that, or you can look up my YouTube, which is outer edge outpost, which is kind of my, my fringe world that I live in out here. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, again, to bring it back to humor, I've um, watched the recent videos and they're so fun. I'm sorry to have fun at your expense. As <laughs> well, you're painfully doing all these things. I know. They're, they're very, very <laughs> but they're <wry>. very entertaining. <laughs> they are. They're very entertaining, um, which is great because then I don't have to worry about you because without the yeah. humor, I, I would just have yeah. to worry about you. Whereas uh, yeah. now I can just enjoy it. If I ever start posting videos about my life that have no self-deprecating jokes, then yeah, then you should worry. not worry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If I start claiming that my life is great, then you should worry yes, about me. <laughs> definitely, definitely going to worry. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, Isaac. Oh, yeah. Thank you.